Good morning. It is Sunday, October 7th. You are listening to In the Wheelhouse. ITW is a weekly podcast on the Chicago Cubs and other ancillary topics. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on In the Wheelhouse, the Major League Baseball playoffs are underway. And for the first time in four years, the Chicago Cubs are watching from their couches. Jason Stark shared some scary statistics for the 2018 season, and we'll be reacting to that. And we also performed the postmortem on the Cubs' vapid offensive output. How are you, Tom? Uh, I'm about 43% today, Leo. I I stayed up a little bit too late watching uh, a cavalcade of sports. I I first watched... uh, uh, first and foremost, my Notre Dame Irish win um, again. And, and then, of course, we kept an eye on the Yankee game. And then, um, uh, for some odd reason, I stayed up because I, I have this uh, one little website I can go to, and I watched the UFC fight with McGregor last night mm. until, until 1230. And, again, uh, I don't understand UFC. We've talked about this before. They might as well just give each other clubs with rusty nails sticking out of it. It's absolutely barbaric, but I will tell you that McGregor got his ass kicked last Did night. Did he really? Wow. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. It was brutal to the point where it's like this guy could have permanent injury. But then that's the UFC. I, I cannot support this. I, I'm a big fan of boxing, as we've talked about before, but I do not like uh, – you, uh, ultimate fighting. I just well, in, in other news, it, it is it, on, on my front, uh, it's our 13th wedding anniversary. And what's interesting about this is that for the last three years, we've had to share our special night with uh, the Chicago Cubs being in the playoffs. That is not the case this year. So that's kind of nice that we'll have this all to ourselves. But but I kind of went, you know, I, I went out to the jewelry exchange in Villa Park mm-hmm. and I picked up a couple of uh, diamond stud earrings for my wife because right. I knew she... She wanted them. And I got to tell you, if you're ever buying any jewelry, expensive jewelry, that's the place you got to go. The jewelry exchange in Villa Park. They, the, the prices are fantastic. They have a great selection. They, 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 they know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about. I, that's the only place I'll go. Uh, I agree. I've used the jewelry exchange, even though, but the one that I used was in, it was the old, the first place, which was in Skokie, which is now right. closed um, a few years ago. So I agree with you. Um, me, uh, Gwen and I are actually celebrating our 25th anniversary. Wow. And uh, I went and got her and it, it just didn't work out so well. The entire Time Life Home Improvement series books. <laughs> um, and uh, I thought I was getting her a good gift. But as it turns out, I got hit with a couple of those books. So, <laughs> oh, God. You, uh, you, you old romantic. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So uh, let's get to it. Uh, going around the league, let's begin with uh, an article that appeared in The Athletic by Jason Stark. It's just some pretty, he shared some pretty bizarre statistics that, uh, or, trend, or, or statistical trends that are taking place in yeah. Major League Baseball. We need to react to that because it's scary. I, I thought it was, you know, to use a bad pun, stark. The numbers <laughs> are, were stark. And basically what he's talking about is stuff that we've talked about for a while now, which is the, the, the literal shift in baseball and the figurative shift in baseball um, from an analytic standpoint um, and things that have occurred basically in the last 10 years where teams are employing the shift at an, at an alarming rate, which, by the way, I believe baseball does need to address this issue, um, either by putting limits on it. Um, however, I do fundamentally agree with uh, somebody that was um, quoted in the article, which is hit against the shift. You and I have yeah. talked about this many times. If, if so, I, I guarantee you this, if I was a major league hitter, 
and, and someone put all the players on one side of the field, I would practice eight hours a day hitting to that other side of the field. That's, yeah. just, that's just one one part of this issue, though. The fact that it is so readily used is um, scary. However, I believe the rules state, unlike the game of softball, where certain players have to be in certain positions, um, that uh, players can play anywhere on the field. There are no rules written against right. the fact right. that you could put all nine players in the, on the standing between first and second, uh, or eight, I should say, um, if you wanted to. So I think baseball, as we talked about last week or the week before with the John Smoltz article, has some issues to, to, to deal with, with when it comes to the whole idea of uh, the time of games and, the, and, and you know, the fact that there's going to be a pitch clock and all of those things. But I think yeah. it's all – all of this is all kind of intertwined into into a couple of major issues, and one of those issues is the fact that there was more strikeouts this year than ever before. There was more strikeouts than there were hits. Yeah, um, that, for the, that, what is that for the first time ever? First time ever, and yeah. and that and that's um, you know it's just it's scary, alarming to me because is that really the direction of baseball? And the fact that what's happening to um, starting pitchers who who for the there was more um, pitchers this year who left after only facing the starting lineup once than yeah. ever ever before in the history of the major leagues. And so there's some trends that are coming up that I believe are driven by analytics that I think are scary. And I don't know what the answer is, but I know what a lot of the questions are. Well, what it, what it has really done, and I think you're talking about the shifts, it has really negated the value of the left-handed hitter, the left-handed mm-hmm. pull hitter. Because in the past, um, if a runner got on ahead of a left-handed hitter, the left-handed hitter now had that hole on the right side to hit through. Right. Now with the shifts, the second baseman moves over, the shortstop is now moving to the right of, uh, of second base. So that advantage has disappeared. And like you were saying, learn to hit the ball to the left side, okay, but, but this advantage, this natural built-in advantage that left-handed hitters have enjoyed throughout the history of baseball has yep. now, for all intents and purposes, vanished. You're absolutely right. From Babe Ruth to Ted Williams, the left-handed hitter basically is a, is a – um, it's a, a dinosaur. It, 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 it's a dinosaur, but it was also, you know, it's kind of like the left-handed pitcher. They're paid more. They typically perform, outperform their right-handed uh, counterparts. But not just the left-handed hitter, but specifically the left-handed hitter who can't run. Yeah. That's, yeah. That is where, and which there's a lot of those kind Chris of Chris Davis, you know. Right. The, the, Chris, uh, Chris Davis's problems are, are a lot related to him, but it's also a lot of related to what's happening in baseball today regarding these shifts. And, 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 and it's a big factor for guys like Anthony Rizzo and Jason Hayward. And, you know, these are left-handed pull hitters and uh, you know, it, it's going to be a problem going forward. At least Rizzo has a, a, a kind of a B hack, you know, when he has two strikes, he's trying to just make contact and put the ball in play. Correct. He's more likely to go to left field, but a lot of these sluggers, they do not at all. No, so, yeah, it, this doesn't apply to Rizzo because he actually chokes up when he has two strikes, and he's be, yeah. he's a it's a he's a different hitter from a statistical standpoint. The other, the other thing that they point out is the fact that there's so many there's a hundred players who hit twenty home runs. Or oh, more. I know. And and, and that it, it, well, twenty fourteen there was fifty seven hitters that did it. 
this past uh, last year there was 117, but this year there was 100. Yeah. But three straight years in a row, there was a in 2016 there was 111. Um, that's never happened before in all of baseball history. Yeah, and and that has to do with what you've talked about, um, which is the, the the desired outcome, which is a, a strikeout, a home run, or a walk. Yeah, um, the three true outcomes. Yeah, and so. so it, it's just I, I'm with Smoltz. I don't like the way baseball is going. I'm not so sure that these changes are going to bring us and keep the fans in the seats 50 years from now. I'm really not. I, I'd like to see him go back to having putting a value on a starting pitcher. And we'll, yeah. we'll talk about like the Brewers and the way that the Brewers pissed in their, in their playoff games, which to me would have me shit, scratching my head at, at at, at how they were doing it obviously it worked to their advantage but i just i, I there's something about baseball right now that's scary it's scary to me it's almost like a twilight zone episode it is it's, it's in, not the sport it's, it's insidious it's sport. it is insidious it's not the sport we recognize and and it's and it's a bummer all right so america is getting the playoff matchup it wanted uh the yankees and the red sox are tied at one game apiece right. in the American League Divisional Series. The The Yankees came storming back uh, against David Price, yep. who shows that he has just not been able to pitch effectively in the postseason. What is he, like 0-9? Yeah, um, yeah, he hasn't pitched very well at all. I mean, I think when the Rays were in it, when in his first year when Madden was the manager, he had some limited success that helped propel them into the World Series. But you're right. He ha as of late, he has not been successful. When he was on Detroit, he was, he was awful. Um, he's, he still won, I think, 17 games on an extremely good Boston team. So I think there was some, some wins that he got just because he was hey. pitching in front of great players, uh, Mookie Betts and company. But uh, – the, I thought the interesting thing was not so much uh, a Ron judge who, who was homering, but, but the, the Gary Sanchez woke up last night with two yes, home he runs. Did. He's hit it. He is. We've talked about this. He's, he's, he's underperformed all year long. He's always been a, a really good offensive catcher and uh, he caught fire last night. That could, that could spell trouble for Boston. It's a great series. Um, no matter how you slice it, um, Tanaka on the Yankees looked really, really, really well last night. Yes. No, they're right. And uh, it, it's it's basically that's that's the story right now in the postseason because the other series just, you know, uh, you have one team that's kind of in the driver's seat. Yeah. So, the, so let's move on to the Brewers and the Rockies. And uh, one thing I wanted to talk about was how Ian Desmond, the first baseman, really deked yeah. Christian Yelich pretty badly. I saw that. And, and it reminded me, well, what happened was there was a line drive and uh, Desmond, Yelich uh, was on first base, and Desmond reaches up to try to catch it. The ball goes off of his glove into right field, but he pretends yep. that he caught the ball and moves to try to double up Yelich. And so almost turned, did. He, he, he almost did. Caught the, if he caught the ball, he would have doubled him up. But then what ends up happening is the ball goes into right field. The right fielder picks it up and throws to second base to force Christian Yelich. Yep. Now, Milwaukee goes on to win the game. That didn't cost them. But it reminded me of the one single wise thing I ever heard Pete Rose say, and that's <laughs> that you always have to watch the ball. And not enough players do that uh, at every level. I mean, you have to constantly be watching the ball and where it's going and what it's doing. And if you're aware of that, you maybe have a chance to be a decent player. I, I would say that's the second uh, wisest thing Rose said, because Rose told me one time, you know, take the Reds minus three tonight. <laughs> All right, so now the Dodgers and the Brewers and the Astros all seem yeah. to be in the driver's seat. That's They're all right. up 2-0. Uh, 
with the series reverting both uh, to Colorado, to uh, to uh, Atlanta, and then to uh, to Cleveland, with all those teams down 0-2. So, I don't know. Do any of those teams have a chance? And I'm talking the Indians, the Braves, and the Rockies. Do any of those teams have a chance even to make it a series? Well, I think of all the teams, I think the Rockies are have the, have the best chance. I think Atlanta, who's been shut out in back-to-back games, the Dodgers. Ooh, I don't see yeah. a way that the Dodgers, with Kershaw coming back at least for Game Four, Game Five, fully rested. That the the you know it was it was great that the Braves made the playoffs. A lot wasn't expected from them because they're such a young team. Watch out in the future. I'll tell you though that I think they're going to be potentially yeah. a, a, a team to be reckoned with in a couple of years, maybe even next year. But, um, you know, when, when I look at um, Cleveland, I, it, and we're going to talk about them in a second in regards to who, who do you want to win, you know, uh, you know I, I think about your father and I think about a lot of diehard uh, Cleveland Indians fans. I, I'm, part of me is rooting for them to, to win a World Series just to get it over with. But, yeah. they're, but they're in big trouble. And, and the reason is, as I'll tell you in a few moments, I think Houston is the best team in the playoffs. And, Maybe. Uh, and uh, they're scary good. And so when you, when you ask that question, I think the Dodgers and, and, and Houston are, are going to advance. I'm not convinced on Milwaukee yet. I, th- I think Colorado could get hot in that stadium and force a game five. Maybe not, but I think of all the teams that you just talked about, the Rockies, have, yeah. the Rockies have the best chance. All right, so uh, moving on, who needs a ring? There was a great article in Fangraphs uh, about which veteran player really needs to win a championship the most. Right. And uh, they, they listed all these old players like, uh, like uh, Andrew McCutcheon and uh, what's his name, Curtis Granderson That's and all right. these other guys. And who do you who do you I mean who do you think about in this in this regard? Well, you know, I, I think you know they they start the article I believe as, as I recall talking about Carlos Beltran last year. Yes, and, right. And, he finally and, got a ring. And, and and they talked about his being kind of on the cusp of being a Hall of Famer, which I agree with because his win above replacement is a sixty-seven, which is very very strong, and he very well yes, may make, make the Hall of Fame as an old guy. Um, however, when I look at this list, this this list of players, um, you, when you look at the top five guys from Granderson, McCutcheon, Kinsler, Braun, and then Stanton, it, and then it's, it gets goes down to Dal- uh, to Donaldson from that point. I, Granderson is an interesting guy. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I loved him when he was on the Tigers. Um, yeah. And you know he's one of the all time nice guys of the game. One of the one of the great ambassadors for baseball. In fact. If baseball is smart, when this guy's career is done, they'll hire him uh, in, in to work in the major leagues because he. Yeah. A lot of people don't know he's a great, great um, uh, proponent, and he helps a lot of kids in the inner cities yeah. in regards to baseball. And baseball has a major problem with. Um, in my, we've talked about this before where are baseball players coming from? And they're not coming from like they used to, which was in the poor areas of both yeah. the white and black communities. It's coming basically from South America. And so I think yeah. Granderson has a role in baseball. Um, I, you know, I, if, if the Brewers win, that's fine. I'd be happy for Granderson. Um, you know, McCutcheon, yeah. McCutcheon's a different story. McCutcheon is a better player. And uh, even though his career went above replacement is basically the same as Granderson, uh, McCutcheon's an ex MVP and, you know, I, I don't yes. know. I, I, none of these players are are like guys that haven't been in it for like twenty years. They're all they're all kind of on the border. 
I can never root for Ryan Brown. He's a uh, Ryan Brown. No. He's a cheater, and I don't care about him. Ian Kinsler, that be you know, he's on the Red Sox. He, he could win it, you know, if the Red Sox can rebound. So I don't know. I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I I really really like Andrew McCutcheon a lot. Me too. You know, I, he's one of my favorite players just to watch. You know, he always has something to say. He tries to be funny. He's really enjoying himself. When he got traded from the Giants to the Yankees, he had to cut off all of his hair. He had to right. shave his beard. Right, right. So it's so funny, like looking at him in a Yankee uniform, and and it just it's so unlike everything we've ever seen out of him for so many for so many years. So I'm really pulling for him, and I and I guess of these guys, I'd like to see the Yankees win to see him finally get a ring. That would be cool. That's a very good point because he languished in, in Pittsburgh and, and he took it like, yeah. a, basically took it like a man all those years when the pirates, he knew damn well, the pirates as the season ended and the next season started that they weren't going to do anything to, to pr- try to propel that team uh, to the next level. So you're right. You, you make a strong case that McCutcheon is, is the, is the best, is the, is he the hero needs, there. Yeah. He, he needs to win a ring, but now let's move on to, uh, the misery index. Instead of talking about players who need to win a ring, whose team's fans need to win, need to see their team win the most? Yeah. Um, so, and this was an article in fan, uh, not Fangraphs, but the Athletic again by Cliff Corcoran, and he says that obviously it's the Indians, no doubt, who have waited the longest. It's been 1948 since the last time they won a World Series. It came close a few times in the 90s. But, uh, you know, with those great teams with Albert Bell and, and, Bart- and Bartolo Colon and all those guys. But uh, I would say the Indians fans probably need to win the one the most. The, the, They've been the, suffering. I, I love yeah. the athletic. Um, uh, and, and Jason Stark, to me, is one of the premier writers. But this article could have written itself. It yeah. basically um, you could disagree with the bottom three, which is they've got in the eight spot, Houston and then Boston and then the Yankees. I would put the Yankees at at number eight myself. Would you? Just, yeah, yeah. yeah would just you? because yeah. of how many, just because how many titles that they have, and then I'd put Boston right next to them. I'd put Houston kind of the be- the better of those teams, um, you know, in the yeah. sixth spot. But there's make no mistake about it. I nothing would please me more to see Cleveland or Milwaukee win the World Series because it means so much to those cities, particularly um, Cleveland, who have just. You know, they had, they, they've, they've been in the World Series. They've come so close. They came so close in 2016. Uh, so, you know, you got to kind of root for them. And, 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 again, I think about guys like your father who guys are getting older and they may not live long enough to see them. So you, you want to see um, teams like the Indians or, or Milwaukee uh, win the title. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's, that's who, you know, uh, yeah. that's who I would like that's- to see. So uh, now the Brewers, you know, we were critical uh, in July about how the Brewers didn't do enough to improve their starting rotation. We thought that, you know, some of the moves they get by acquiring all these infielders would end up kind of biting them in the ass, but they end up winning the division. And you got to give them credit. I, I, do, I, do give them, I do give them credit, but I stand by my criticism, and I'm still critical of the fact that they, over, especially last year, were so close and for them not to, to basically what they did is they turned their back on the modern way of baseball, which is at the midway point. If you've got a chance to win, you go all in. They, they didn't go yeah. all in and they didn't really go all in this year, even though they did make some moves last year was just a head scratcher because they, you know, you could see that they were building a really good team. It wasn't until Yelich got hot 
in the second half that's kind of propelled him. That and the fact that Hader, um, their relief pitcher, is almost unhittable. He, he's I electric. I, I don't yeah. think he's being used properly, but I think that he is he is one the one pitcher right now in the playoffs that that could come in from a relief standpoint that I don't believe anybody's going to get it. The guy's throwing 97-98. And as we saw well, last like- night, Chapman – Chapman is definitely not Chapman as he was in 2016. Even though he still throws hard, it's basically a flat fastball that he throws. No, you're right. And Hader is amazing. He He's like having an extra queen on the board in a game of chess. Right. He's just – he's so hard to, to, to deal with, you know. Um, and so he makes them – so formidable. I think that they're, they're the pick to come out of the national league, even though the Rockies could give them trouble, but, uh, but anyway, so, right, so, so, just one thing, I think Milwaukee's yeah. flaw is in, and I don't know where this is coming from, but it's how they're, how they manage that pitching staff, how they're, how mm-hmm. they're, how they're the front end of the bullpen uh, looks. Uh, uh, what's his name? Ne- the old closer, um, Nebel or Nebel or whatever his name is. Yeah, yeah, Knebel. Knebel. He, he's pitching in the f- fifth or sixth inning. That's that's not right. He should be pitching in the seventh or eighth, and Hader should be the flat out closer on that team. Yeah, he should. And, and, he should. and I just, to me, the Brewers, the Brewers probably will advance over the Rockies, but if they don't, for some reason, we'll know why. And n- nor do I think they can handle the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers with a, a true. Uh, front end of their rotation, like uh, Kershaw and, and Hill and Hugh and these other guys, that it's just too much for them. Hmm. That'll be exciting. That'll be a really uh, good series if we get it. All right. So the Oakland A's started their wild card game with the reliever Liam Hendricks right. against the Yankees. We talked about how this was probably going to happen. That uh, the, this bullpenning phenomenon was going to be uh, what de- what decided the American League wild card game. And uh, you don't think it uh, worked out? So you no, really no, kind of hurt them. No, I do, not just that. It, there's something about this um, particular um, ploy that that's you're seeing more and more in baseball that's just a little unsettling as a fan. And I feel for the pitchers that are out there that are thrown into these non-traditional roles. I think that this is a huge mistake, and it came back to bite the A's big time uh, as. Uh, Aaron Judge crushed a, a ball off of Hendricks, and Hendricks just did not look sharp at all. Um, and it could just be a one-off, but I don't like the idea of relievers starting games. I I agree with Gammons, and I agree with other people that the, you know there was something about marquee starting matchups that you would look forward to all day. You want to see yeah. Kershaw against Sale to see these guys go seven or eight innings, and it's just you know analytics has gone too far. It's almost like it, it, it it's almost like it's a virus and, and they need to kind of nip some of this stuff in the bud. That's what I think. So No, I think you have a point. Um all right, so Paul Molitor was fired by the Minnesota Twins and Buck Showalter was in turn fired by the Orioles. B- big big, big mistake on Molitor. Showalter's Do you a think diff- so? Showalter's a different story. If I was Showalter, I would have resigned. There's it's going to take yeah. them 10 years to come back. But that team is yeah. that's one of the worst franchises I've seen since the 2003 Tigers, which was just as equally as bad. But Molitor is inexplicable. He was the ma- he was the manager of the year last year. You know, yeah. and, and oh, wow. so, so, and, and yes, they're seven games worse than they were. Uh, it's not Molitor's fault. That's, that's no, a secondary not. market. And, and the twins have been notoriously stingy over the years, as far as, uh, you know, they're a lot like the pirates. Um, 
whereas you know it, in intrinsically that's a great franchise from a from a uh, farm system on up but this is what happened to the twins this year is not on paul molitor if no, i was the, if i was the reds i'd be all over that guy <laughs> wow that's actually a great move yeah that would be a good move so but i mean with show walter you're right he probably should have resigned because yeah. he was given absolute he was given a tire, uh, you know, a tire fire. It's just terrible. Yeah. And he's a traditional old Davy Johnson kind of meets Earl Weaver manager. There's nothing wrong with Buck Walter. No, Uh, no, nothing. And by the way, uh, Dan Duquette was also, uh, uh, you know, uh, dismissed dismissed, in Baltimore as well as he should. So should have been. So, well, they're starting from scratch over there. So I don't know what the hell they're going to do, but, uh, but anyway, all right. So let's move to the Chicago Cubs. Um, I'm really unhappy with the way the season ended. I, I, I was looking forward to at least hanging my hat on the idea that they would have won three straight division titles. Uh, but four straight playoff appearances is nothing to sneer at. But this is the golden era, and we, we expect more. You know? We do, and I, I will say, um, you know, I wasn't surprised at all. I've been talking about this for a few weeks. They've been whimpering along. They, Even though they had ultimately the second-best record in the National League, I felt as though even if they were the National League representative that they were potentially right. could have been swept in the World Series at, for two big reasons. And one of them we're going to talk about in depth today. But uh, the other reason is is that their their bullpen is in shambles. I, I just I just think it's even though in that in that thirteen inning uh, classic uh, yeah. uh, play in game uh, for the wild card, they were uh, they, the the bullpen did a, a, an admirable admirable job. Um, I thought that uh, first of all, I thought Madden mismanaged again on a couple of fronts. I wouldn't have taken Lester out when I did, even though it turned out to 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 work out for the because they got a run exactly as a result, uh, you know, but I, so. I certainly wouldn't have taken out Cole Hamels and the reason is is because Hamels is always better from the third to the fifth inning than he is from the first to the third or from the, the sixth to the seventh so I just thought that you know Hamels was pitching relatively well I would have kept him in the game I don't think those were the factors of why the Cubs lost the Cubs lost because about what we're going to talk about they couldn't hit the baseball they haven't been able to hit the baseball in weeks I I pointed it out last week I think that um, of their 65 or 66 regular season games 40 uh five or 46 of those games they scored less than two runs in 33 or half of their losses they scored less they scored one or less than that yeah. they were shut out of fair, like five or six times as well they were right there with the orioles in terms of uh, futility offensively yes 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 and so and while i think that uh, chili davis did a really good job from a hitting coach standpoint as opposed to the year before um i i just think ultimately it's got Davis has got to bear some of that responsibility of, of their, their timely hitting just was not there. Part of it, part of it is, you know, baseball itself. The fact that you have all these specialized things going on, shifts and specialized pitching it is limiting of the offense, but, but the Cubs just Cubs couldn't get it done. I thought they whimpered into the playoffs. And I think I mentioned last week and I'll stand behind it. I thought they were one of the weak. If they had advanced, they would have been one of the weakest teams. They would have. Yeah, they would have been. So uh, it looks like though, Joe Madden, in spite of uh, their playoff performance, it looks like Joe Madden will be allowed to continue to manage for the Cubs through the 19, 2019 season. I, I, I just can't see the front office blaming Madden 
when, you know, they had to take a lot of responsibility, too, for what happened to this team. Yeah, you know, as I pointed out, and I'll continue to point out, he's not perfect. He's nowhere near as good as Sparky Anderson. But he's a very good manager for today's uh, players. And this is the deal I would make if I ran the Cubs. I would say, you have 2019, buddy. And you need to yeah. you need to improve, and and just like the Cubs need to improve, Mad needs to improve as well. And the good news is, he's pretty open minded about stuff like that. He's one of these right. older he, guys that's got an open open mind about change and about you know the modern game of baseball. And so, I said this a couple of weeks ago. I wouldn't have fired Madden either off of this year. I, th- I if you, no one needs to be fired from a management standpoint. So two years removed from a World Series team. I do think though that. They're not heading in the, the – the arc is not in the right direction. They need, they need to Probably make some not. changes. Probably not. But I think they're also looking fairly good going into next season. They, they, seem, to, they seem to have a strong starting uh, rotation. If they can make some changes offensively, they'll be right back in it. And, you know, you talked about how you said that Madden, you want to give him 2019 and that he needs to improve – it's hard to improve on a team that won 95 games. Uh, no, I'm, but, t- I'm talking about he needs to improve as a manager. I'm not forget about the wins or losses. But, but was, how do you improve as a manager on a you know your, your team won 95 games? Well, how can you improve on that? No, I understand what you're saying, but there was there was there was things that were done from a managerial standpoint that I think he has to take a long hard look at. Remember, he's got his pitching coach now, right? He finally right, he's right, got his right. guy. So. Um, I just think that, you know, he just has to do a, a better – and I bet you if he was sitting here, he would say the same thing, that is, he's just got to do a no, better job. You're right. And, and the thing about Madden is he is reflective. He's not the kind of guy who's going to just die or go down doing things the way he's thought – or the way he's done them for the last 20 years. Yes, that's correct. You know, he's not one of these guys who's going to do that. But, but he will take a look at what went right and what went wrong, and he'll think about maybe – making some changes. I think one of the primary things is maybe he might let these guys take a little more batting practice. You know, I don't know. I, I, I'm not there, so I don't know what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do and how much they're allowed to practice and swing and so on and so forth. But it does seem to me that if they're not hitting, maybe they could use a little more practice. I don't know. That's I, just... I, I remember in 1983, I think it was in Detroit, that the Tigers pitching staff had a hard time um, where the pitchers would cover first base in balls that were hit between the first baseman and the pitcher. Right. In that offseason, Sparky made them practice that for hours on end. And the very next year, they were the best in baseball at it. Wow. I think that when it comes to situational hitting, you can recreate this in what he calls the campus time of, of spring training. And I think that they need to do that. I think they have to work on on a couple of core issues um, from an offensive standpoint um, and, and address them head on and start to practice situations. You guys have got a man on first and third. What are you going to do? And I know the shift stops, you know, people from advance, you know, hitting to certain points of the, of, of the field. Um, but hell man, we got Baez on this team. He, he, this guy can do it all as far as, you know, a place in the bait from a bunt situation. The guy, he's the only guy I know in baseball that could bunt his way onto first and steal home. In, in yeah, the same yeah. sequence. So it's not that they don't have the talent. I just think that they have to really work at their offensive production. And so, and, yeah. so you know, and that brings us, well, that brings us to what we need to talk about now. And that's what happened to the offense. Why was it so bad? Right. And, 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 and I think we'll begin uh, with three players in particular, uh, Ian Happ, Wilson Contreras and Addison Russell, all 
took major steps backwards uh, as far as offense this season. Yeah, you know, Russell, for whatever reason, forget about what happened at the latter part of the year. Um, it yeah. seemed, if I wasn't so stupid, I would say he was still affected um, by injuries because he just he, he, he was. just, he just he hasn't was. been the same for for a while now. I personally think he's done as a Cub because uh, if, because of what's come out as far as the, the his uh, uh, abuse of his ex-wife. Um, and and by the way, he got a slap on the hands 40 games since the next year. This guy is a yeah. repeat offender. Everybody else, that, including the uh, Acuna or or not or Asuna, whatever is the closer on Asuna, yeah, that was a what that or at least he was caught as a one-time event. What what they're what they're saying with Russell is he's done, and his ex-wife is confirming this. This has happened multiple times. I think the guy is, is just bad. He's got to go. And um, you know, you talk about Contreras. Contreras is one of those guys that he does so much for the team when he's the, behind the plate. That I that he could be a two twenty hitter as far as I'm concerned. So I don't really blame Contreras. I just would have him bat eight. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't put him yeah. in the spots that that Madden. That's the other thing too. That's a big criticism of Madden and company is the way that they move the lineups around. Players playing and hitting in different positions. And and as much as Sparky used the righty lefty lineups, which he did, but basically you know Lance Parrish always batted fifth. You know what I'm saying? Gibson always batted third. Like you, to me, that's a, that, that's a criticism of Madden too. You got to start, and the reason is is because it starts to play on the players' minds. If you're a leadoff hitter, you're a leadoff hitter. Don't put Rizzo as a leadoff hitter, even though he was effective, because they need a traditional leadoff hitter that knows every day when he goes to the park that he's going to be leading off the game. And and, and so, um, Hap to me, I would get rid of Hap. I just I've seen enough out of Hap to know that I just don't see he's part of the future. Well, he had a struggle. He had a, his sophomore season was not good. No, you know, no. Yeah, I I, he, I don't know I don't know what we could get for the guy. But if I could get a a, a middling middle reliever, I probably geez. I probably would take it. In a bag. Yeah, that's the thing though. Sheets. I mean, the guy you don't want to sell him where at he, where his value is at the least. I guess. I mean, if you're going to get rid of him, you got to give him a chance to sort of get back. I think he could make adjustments and, and get back to maybe what they thought he was going to be. But he he really struggled this year. You yeah. know, after hitting the first pitch of the year into the stands for a home run, right. he really kind of, uh, you know, that was bizarre. He was hapless. Anyway, and I also want to say with Contreras, what's interesting is when, you're, when, when your most reliable offensive player is your catcher, then I think you have a problem. You know, and that was the case in 2017. Yes. Where he yes. was really carrying the offense, but – but a catcher does so many other things right, right. And, and is just beaten up so often that it's hard to rely on a catcher to be your best offensive player. You know? uh, uh, agreed. I, I would get I, of those three that you just mentioned, I think Russell, they've got to move him, but I don't know what yeah. they're going to get for him. And then Hap, I, I would, I would trade him for a pitcher. Um, Contreras isn't going anywhere. What about uh, you talk about Elmora? Our, right. Who was hitting 300 for, you know, to the first two thirds of the season, he was excellent. Yeah. He was hitting 300, but then he really, really cooled off. He couldn't buy a base hit in the, in, you know, the last third of the season. And that was a big problem. You know, if he had hit a little bit, that would have made a big difference. If he had hit even close to what he had done in the first two thirds of the season, they would be still playing right now. So I don't know. I think the solution for Elmora is I'm, I'm a big fan. As you well know, I would make him the starting center fielder and I would send him off to winter ball to, like you said, to work on that hitting and make him the everyday center fielder. That's another situation where Madden just had 
50 different center fielders. And I just think he's so good defensively that he makes teams do things because they know they can't challenge him um, yeah. because of how good his glove is. So he is a great, he is one of the greatest center fielders I've ever seen. Yeah. Without he's a doubt. He, he, he had two or three plays <laughs> in one game this year that yeah, most players yeah, will never yeah. have in their whole career. So no, um, his, yeah. Yeah. His season was a highlight reel of just unbelievable catches. Yeah, I, so. I wouldn't touch him at all, and I don't think he's part of the offensive problem, by the way, even though I agree with you, he did cool off. Let's talk about Chris Bryan and Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, they, you know, Rizzo was okay. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he had, he had long stretches where he was really bad, but then he had stretches where he was really good. So in the end, he was sort of, I would say, solid. Not, you know, overwhelming, not bad, but he was solid. But, but again, they need, but then you look at Bryant who was injured after he, I don't know, dove back to first base. He injured his shoulder. That really killed him. I thought. Yeah. I thought Rizzo was really, really good because Rizzo contributes in so many different ways. And I right, thought, right. I, I, I thought that when he got pinched in that playoff game where he actually was pinch run for which they had to do to get that run but that really came back to bite him when go right. when uh ghosts uh who by the way in that last inning should have been hit by a pitch any other player would have leaned in and took that ball and ended up on first which means he would have ended up on third i thought that was i would have i, I was so mad at ghost because knowing full well that yeah. he's a 067 hitter when the ball's that close, lean in, dude. Take the hit gotta, and get the first base. Yeah. But regardless, you know, Rizzo was sitting on the bench at the end. I thought he was with Baez, the two shining lights offensively. And I would give an honorable mention to Hayward, which we'll talk about in a second. I, I you know, Bryant was injured, and, and that's why his production was down. I fully expect right. him to rebound and, and be back to MVP numbers in, in short order. I, I have no complaints about Rizzo. Rizzo is Rizzo. He had 20, you know, 25 home runs and 101 RBIs. That's a, and batted 283. And by the way, he was batting 175 for the first two months. So that, yeah. I thought yeah. he had a pretty good season um, in all honesty. Bryant, not so much, but I think he really, I think that shoulder problem was much worse than, than the Cubs or he was letting on to. All right, well, let's talk about Kyle Schwarber, who, yeah. what did he hit, 25 home runs, and, and, and he didn't play every day. He played almost every day, yeah. but I thought he was entirely too tentative. He's just trying to draw too many walks. Well, and, he, he, uh, did, he did draw, have the most walks on the team with 78, but he also struck out 140 times. The, the, uh, the, the answer for Kyle Schwarber is pretty clear cut. You trade him to the American League where he belongs as a DH, and you get a fairly decent pitcher for him. They've got to make that move. I like Kyle, don't get me wrong, but the way that the Cubs are moving forward, what hurts Kyle is the fact that he's not an everyday player, and I think he needs to be an everyday DH in the American League, and I'll bet you he hits 35 to 40 home runs for an American League team. He just can't do it for the Cubs. We don't have, no. the, we don't have the DH in the National League. And if we could get a hater type of pitcher or somebody that d- developed into that type of pitcher, that's what the Cubs have to do with Schwarber. I, I, for the first time, when we're talking about Kyle Schwarber, I'm going to agree with you on this. I, I, I didn't want to trade him. I thought his potential was too good. But you watch him, and I don't know. It's, it's just hard. It's hard uh, to see that. It, it's hard when you look at his approach offensively. It's just not helping the team. He's not doing right. what they need him to do. Agreed. Now, now, Jason Hayward had a decent season. Again, injuries kind of cut him short in the, at the end of the second half. But uh, he played a brilliant right field. 
Uh, and he did rebound offensively, but I still think that the Cubs need more from him. The, the interesting thing is I'm bullish on, on Hayward because he's such a great defensive player and he's a great teammate. But he, he had a couple of bonehead defensive plays. This was not his best year defensively. No, it wasn't. I saw it wasn't. a couple of times where I'm like, is that Hayward out there that just yeah, dropped, dropped a ball? Dro- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, But overall, I thought it was a nice recovery. He ended up batting 270. What he's got to work on and is what Chili Davis has to work on with him is getting those power numbers up. Eight home runs is not going to get it in the major leagues to play no, every day no. in the outfield. I don't care how great you are defensively. Especially when you have 100 other guys who are hitting 20 home runs. Well, I mean, especially when El Mora can't do it either. You can't have both of those guys like that. Right. Uh, And and by the way, Zobrist and Baez, there's nothing really to say. Those guys were great. Zobrist is 37. That's the one part that's scary. Baez is obviously going to finish second in the MVP. He had a tremendous year, and he's one of the the most exciting players in baseball, if not the most exciting player to watch. So um, I think we have a different story with Daniel Murphy. He was basically a -a (sighs) rent-a-player. at the end of the year. And he was a guy the first week, just like you talk about in the show notes was on fire. And I was like, this is the cub killer that we thought by the end of the year, I'm like, get this guy off the field. He was, I know he was killing us. He he was just so bad in the, in the field that I I just, every time I saw him, I'm like, Oh my God, what is he going to screw up this time? However, he did catch the ball that Bryant threw um, to, yeah. to double up the player in the in the play-in game that was just fantastic. Even though Baez would have made that play in his sleep, I, I didn't think Mur- I didn't think Murphy would, quite frankly. So I agree. Yeah, right. I agree with what you said originally about him that he needs to go. He does need to go, and and I mean, if he's not going four for four every night, you right. know what I mean? Then he he's not going to make up for his defensive Correct. inefficiencies Correct. And, and his inefficiencies on the base paths. Have you ever watched him try to turn a double play? Yeah, uh, I, it is. It, it's appalling. Exactly. It's like he's throwing a shot put. It, it, you it, know? It, it's like me during my ballet days, especially the, the <laughs> latter part of my ballet career. Um, but the other part that criticism that I have for Murphy is his bat is his batting style in the sense that he, he, everything he hits is, is down below. If you pitch up, on Murphy, you get him almost every single time because he's such a crouch hitter. So I right, just think right. I think it's all said and done. He's got to go move, move along, even though he's he's not that old. He's only thirty three years old by, by by baseball standards. He's ancient. Yeah, well, he's going to probably end up back in the National League, killing us again for somebody else. <laughs> right, right, you know. But uh, hopefully, we but get a pitcher the, for him. Amid the wreckage, the Cubs did lead uh, the league in batting average at two fifty eight, and. They ran the bases better than anybody. And, yep. and you know, no team went from first to third as often as the Chicago Cubs. And I think that uh, their third base coach, Brian Butterfield, is a big, big part of that. No he doubt. Really, he had them running the bases better than anybody. And I thought that was brilliant. And, and yeah. Butterfield, uh, a huge improvement over uh, what's-his-name, Tony, uh, the guy that he replaced. I can't think of his name. Um, he, he was – um, I agree with you, Butterfield was um, – gets a lot of credit, but so does Baez. If you take Baez out of yeah. the mix, I don't know how great they are at that because Baez was – Baez basically, he stole home three times in the season, which I can't ever which remember is, in my crazy. life. Yeah. Going back to maybe Ty Cobb did that. I'm pretty yeah, sure he right. did, but it's a very unusual event. You know, you talk Not about – Not even the, Ricky Henderson did right. that, You know what I mean? Yeah. You talk so. about the, the Cubs and uh, uh, offensive players, but you, you also allude to the fact that the schedule and the weather – Played a, really a factor in their in their offense yeah. uh, as well. 
Well, early in the year, you know, the weather was terrible and, and everybody had to deal with it. You know, Chris Carpenter, who was just brilliant for the, for the Cardinals, you know, when the weather had gotten warmer, he was hitting 175 in uh, April and May, you know, so they were even thinking of benching him. So I think the weather was terrible and the weather early caused a lot of postponements and cancellations and rescheduling of games. So they had to play this long stretch of like 40 games in 41 days. And I think that, contributed i don't want to make excuses but i think it did contribute to the fact that gee whiz i mean if they had just won one more goddamn game right. they would have they'd still be in this thing and it's just really frustrating to look at that so hopefully they'll catch a break in that regard next season i, I and, hope uh, so <laughs> well now so next week we'll talk about the pitching uh you know but uh but for now let's move into this week in baseball history already uh all right, so October 1st, 1950. Bert Schotten, the Dodgers manager, and uh, Connie Mack of the A's both retire on the last day of the season. Right. And they are the last two managers to not wear uniforms right. in the dugout. They're, they would wear shirts and ties and suits. Right. So uh, we, we haven't seen that since. And I was wondering maybe if we'll see it again. I, I don't know. know. In the case of the the Dodger manager, that's kind of inexplicable. Mac, Mac is an aberration in baseball. He managed for 50 years because he owned the team. He never, he, 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 ne- he never, he never would have lasted more than five years if he was just a regular manager because he was terrible. He has one of the worst win loss records, of, if not the worst. I think I don't think anybody has as many losses as he does as a. But manager. he also managed. He he also had one of the greatest teams that ever. You know, I mean, he did manage one of the greatest teams ever. No, no, no doubt. But I think all, when when you write the book on County Mac, he managed some some futile, terrible uh, Philadelphia teams, <coughs> and uh, I, you know that. I don't know whether you'll see that, but I, I do think in the last fifteen years, you know, managers have started to slouch off in their in their apparel. To me, they need to wear a uniform just like all the players. I'm a throwback guy. So when I see Madden wearing a hoodie, it's yeah. just like, you know, dude. You know. Madden and Francona, they don't they don't dress like the players. No, they don't like no. to do that. So, all right. So here's one that you'll like. Uh, obviously, this is very important to you. But October 2nd, 1968, oh, yeah. Bob Gibson strikes out 17 Detroit Tigers yep. in game one of the World Series. Uh, shutting them out, or what? what did he shut them out. Or it was uh, four to nothing. Yeah, 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 they beat them four to nothing, and that's one regarded as one of the great postseason pitching performances of all time. I, th- I think you it know. actually was voted as the as the best uh, postseason. Uh, him, him, and uh, like Morris in that in that ninety one. Oh yeah, game, the ten inning performance. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's right up there. But that, but what Gibson did is more dominating than Morris. Uh, the yeah. Tigers, who by the way. Had that year, they were known as the comeback team. They came back in so many uh, games. Um, they were they had some big daddy hitters on that team, and so <clears throat> what? Yes, Gibson, they did. What Gibson did was remarkable. Uh, I still say to this day, if you've got one ball to give to one pitcher to pitch one game, you give it to Bob Gibson. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Now here was an interesting one. I don't know if you remember this, but it's the last day of the season of the 1976 season, October 3rd, Kansas City's George Brett and Hal McRae and then Minnesota's Rod Carew are separated by one thousandth of a point. Yes, yes, I do remember. For the batting title, Brett goes three for four, right. and he beats out his Royals teammate 333 to 332 for the, for the American League batting title. His deciding hit is an inside-the-park home run <laughs> that was a misplayed line drive, leading McRae to believe that the lack of effort on the part of the fielder 
was intentional. Bull- what do you think of that? I think it's bullshit. I, 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 I hear this so many times that, and, and I hate to say this because I'm, I am as, not a racist person at all, but I don't believe every single thing that is done against uh, African-Americans by Caucasians is racism. I just think that yeah. I think it's yeah. a bullshit excuse. Some stuff, some stuff are legitimate. The fact is George Brett was a beast and also hell he also was three for four. He wasn't one for four. He was three right. for four. So I think that's bullshit. Yeah, exactly. And 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 McRae is known for sort of having a big chip on his shoulder. You yeah, know, he's yeah. not. He wasn't exactly the happiest guy. Now, I'm not saying that Hal McRae hasn't experienced racism. I'm, I'm sure, sure. I guarantee you, he yes. has. I guarantee Sadly. he's been. Yeah, yeah. And it's sad, um, but I don't think necessarily that this was the case. All right. So uh, October third. 1976, appearing as the DH, Brewer's Hank Aaron yep. gets an infield single off of Tigers hurl, hurler Dave Roberts. This was his last major league at bat. He was the last major leaguer who played in the Negro Leagues. Wow. I, did, I knew that he did, but I didn't know that he was the last guy. Wow, that's something. Yeah. I, do, I remember that season very well because I was fortunate enough to see Hank Aaron um, play in that season at Tiger Sam. He didn't, he didn't homer in the game that – that I watched, but it was, it was a real treat as an American leaguer to see Aaron who played virtually his entire career in the national league and then played his yeah. last year with Milwaukee, which is where he started on the old Milwaukee Braves. But with the Brewers, it was great to see him. It was kind of like when I was a kid and saw Mickey Mantle hit uh, in his last year. And the thing that's similar to, to those things is the fact that I saw two of the greatest players ever in the, in the, twilight of their career they just weren't you know they were very old um yeah and, and and ineffective but it's still just to see hank aaron on the field and who by the way to me i don't care about bonds or any any other record yeah. that's been broken he is the legitimate home run king and uh i don't care what anybody says he'll always be. I, I i completely agree with you i completely agree with you when you when you consider all the things that that man was going through as he was getting close to breaking Ruth's record, all of the hate mail that he received, all of the death threats, you know, and, and the pressure that he was under being a black man in a, in a, in a racist country yep. trying to do this thing. I mean, I, I, it's just astonishing he, he, that he, he did it with the, such dignity. He has one know? of the greatest consistent stats of all time, and that is if you hit 35 home runs for 20 seasons, you would be 55 short. Of Hank Aaron. Wow. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> That's crazy. Right. I mean, right. <laughs> you know. He, ne- but, he never uh, hit 50 home runs. Never. He was so, no, he never hit 50 he was so consistent. And he had the greatest, fastest wrists that baseball has ever known. Yeah. And he was the one, the one hitter that Bob Gibson feared. And if Bob Gibson's afraid of you, you're somebody. Yeah, I don't right, care. Exactly. You are somebody. <laughs> you know. So, all right. Anyway, all right. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or any, you just want to say hi. Give us an email at you are in the wheelhouse at uh, Yahoo or uh, I'm sorry. You are in the wheelhouse at gmail.com. Tom, it's been a great conversation as always. I'll see you next week. All right. All right. Have a good one. Bye.